welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello again. Today's conversation is one that everyone should listen to. I had fun talking to Melissa Agnes, a crisis management expert about scary situations that companies definitely need to think about ahead of time. Before we start, a little reminder. We've talked a bit about podcasts for your customers, but have you thought about what a private podcast for your internal audience could do for your business? Let's take one example. A salesperson has a lot of windshield time that does nothing for you. And when they arrive at a customer site, are they really going to want to open that slide deck to get the latest on your new products? Maybe not. Maybe they'd rather call the product manager and chat for an hour while they're rolling down the highway to get updated. An internal podcast would allow all your people to stay up to date easily. And that's just one example. Think it's worth trying? Send me an email, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com. Now, let's jump into my chat with Melissa Agnes. Melissa Agnes is a crisis management advisor, speaker, and the author of Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World. Melissa, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. My, the pleasure is all mine, Chris. All right. So this, I'm, I'm really excited about this one because we have never touched on this topic at all in the podcast. And I don't really think about it a lot, but... Um, I think we should now, and you're going to tell us why, but we're talking about crisis response and how to become an invincible brand so that if the unexpected actually happens, you're ready and not only to minimize the damage, but use the opportunity to increase your credibility. So to get us started, I heard you give an example about Crock-Pot, which I think will get everyone's attention. Yeah, I love the example about Crock-Pot because it's so surreal and yet it's real. Um, okay, so a few months ago at the start of 2018, Crock-Pot woke up to their fans, their customers, the general public, just the story going viral against them, making national news and morning talk shows and all of that. Um, the whole buzz was that people were going to throw out their crockpot machines that they've had for you know decades and never buy from the brand again. And the whole reason that that story, that that situation escalated to that point of virality and potential impact was because the show, the, the TV show, um, This Is Us, aired the night before the reason. So, okay, I don't watch This Is Us, but I watched this one segment. I became aware of it when when this thing went viral, when this story went viral. Um, they had been alluding to, you know, Jack Pearson, the patriarch of the family, one of the main, most beloved characters of the show. They had never really revealed how he died. And that was like this buildup throughout the season, apparently, that this is, you know, we're going to find out how he dies. We're going to find out how he dies. Turns out that he died. The storyline is that um, he was, you know, cleaning the kitchen. He goes, he turns on his slow cooker, not a crockpot machine, just a generic slow cooker that was this old slow cooker. He goes to bed. It short circuits. It sets fire to the home and he dies of smoke inhalation. And so... 
and then what happened was Crockpot woke up to the story of or the situation that I just described earlier. And the whole reason being that people were watching this show. So, you know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are watching this show. They love this show. They love this character. They've been waiting to learn how he died. And it was such a beautifully crafted storyline, so emotionally compelling that they're drawn into this story. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh my goodness, I have a crockpot machine. I don't want this to happen to my family. I don't want my family to die (laughs) because the crockpot machine burns down our home. And that's how the whole situation started. And it escalated to such a point of what we can call irrational fear because it's not based on logic or facts. It's just based on pure emotion um, to the point that Crockpot woke up to, you know, them being talked about in morning talk shows, being, you know, covered in national news um, with their customers really threatening to throw out their machines and boycott the brand indefinitely. So it's this kind of surreal story of nobody could have ever predicted it. Nobody could have ever imagined this to be reality. And yet it was reality and it was reality with high impact or at least the potential for high impact. Yeah. And they, you know, a totally fictional story, as you point out. So um, I guess, and here's the thing I don't know, what what did they do right or wrong um, in response to all of that? Crockpot did everything right. Okay, so the whole thing about being crisis ready is it's not about crisis ready is not about crisis management. Crisis ready means that your entire team prior to ever experiencing an issue or a crisis, your entire team, and I mean the entire organization, understands what risk looks like. So they're able to detect it in real time. They understand and they know how to properly assess its material impact on the brand. So is it an issue versus is it a crisis? And then they know what to do. And they don't just know what to do in in terms of putting it to bed, but they know what to do to respond and and react in a way that actually increases the trust and credibility that your stakeholders have in the organization, in the brand. And so that's being crisis ready, is that instinctive reflex of managing incidents in real time to build trust and credibility rather than to depreciate from it. And Crockpot proved to be crisis ready. So first of all, they weren't even on Twitter before this happened. They had flown so far under the radar that they weren't on Twitter. And yet this story was unfolding on Twitter. They quickly jumped onto Twitter. So let's go through those three things. They detected, assessed, and responded. So it takes those three things um, to do well in order to effectively manage something so that you increase stakeholder trust and goodwill in the brand. They detected it. So they were listening. Even though they weren't on Twitter, they, you know, the first thing that when it started going viral, they were aware. They realized that, and here's the, the, the tricky part, is that a lot of organizations might have looked at this and said, this is completely irrational. No, you know, in the history of this company, our machines have never set, you know, short-circuited and set fire to a home. They're designed to not do that. So everybody's being irrational let's just let it calm down and die out and, you know, move on with our day. That could have been a response. And that is a response that many organizations still to this day would be likely to take. However, what 
um, Crockpot did was they realized the material impact. They realized that this, yes, it was irrational. Yes, in the history of Crockpot, this has never happened. Yes, their machines are designed specifically to not let this happen. But they also realized that this was an intrinsic fear that stemmed from emotion and the fear of people's families being in danger right? Because of these machines, that it was very, very real. It may have been irrational, but it was very real. And if they didn't respond, then they were missing out on an opportunity to connect with their stakeholders, to validate their emotions, um, and to mitigate, you know, the risk of them actually taking it seriously and throwing out their crackpot machines and never buying from the brand again. So they assessed the situation properly. And then in their response, and this is another part of their brilliance, was um, so one of my crisis ready rules is you can never trump emotion with logic and crockpot knew this. So they knew that they couldn't just come out and be like, guys, this is never going to happen in the history of crockpot. This has never happened. Our machines are designed to not let this happen. Nobody would have listened because everybody was um, emotionally compelled by the story and they were fearful from their own emotion. So what Crockpot did before giving out any facts was they came out with responses that, and I'm totally paraphrasing here, but basically that said, we are heartbroken with you. We're devastated that Jack died and this is how Jack died. So they validated the emotions of their audience, of their stakeholders. So of the general public, of their customers, which allowed them. So once you validate emotion, people don't want to resist you. They let you into their mind once you get into their hearts. And so that was their first step. And then they would continue that by saying, but we want you to know that our machines, you know, your family safety is, has always been our priority. And then they would link to the facts and the statistics and the studies and all of that, that, that really proved that reality. Yeah, that's great. I mean, they put themselves you know, in the shoes of the the viewers or put themselves on the same side there. Like, yeah, we, we're sad to see him go too. And by the way, here's the reality. Yeah. We're, we're, we feel you, we validate you. We're sad with you. We understand where your fear is stemming from and know that this has always been a priority to us. And here's, you know, what we do to make sure that this isn't your reality. Yeah. So we typically, Think of these crises happening to large consumer brands. Maybe that's because that's where the media coverage is. But B2B companies are not immune from this. And you don't have to look far these days to realize that, you know, a simple, well, I want to say a simple thing, but a thing like a data breach or an employee misbehaving can happen anywhere and um, put, put any company at risk. And, so you must have a long list of risks faced by companies. Um, what What's at the top of your list and give a few examples? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's great that you're saying that because it really doesn't matter if you're B2B or B2C. Um, what we're looking at is risk that impacts people, that impacts environment, that impacts your business's operation, it, your organization's reputation, or your organization's bottom line over the long term. And you don't have to be consumer-facing or consumer-based to experience risk that impacts your business or your stakeholders. Um, so to answer your question in terms of what the, I call them high-risk scenarios, so the most likely high-impact issues and crises that your organization is most prone or vulnerable to, you're right. There's a, there's a list, there's a long list, 
but a crisis for one organization isn't necessarily a crisis for another organization. So, you know, we could look at things like you mentioned cybersecurity. We could look at things like a key person event. So something, especially for public companies, something happening to um, the CEO or, you know, somebody that is very known within the organization and very trusted, um, in terms of the organization's day to day operation. And if that, if something happens to that person, does that impact investors' decision to keep their money with the organization? Does that impact, you know, stakeholder, um, perception of the brand and, um, trust in the brand and its daily operations? You can look at, um, product failure or natural disasters, workplace violence. So really what it's about is, yes, you could, you know, on my website or in my book, more specifically in chapter four, I give, you know, these types of high-risk scenarios that are the most common throughout different organizations, but not all of them pertain to every single organization. So what's really important is for a business to look at what are the most likely high-impact issues and crises that we're the most prone to and to be, become crisis ready for those because, again, they're the most likely high-impact scenarios. Yeah. So um, you talked a little bit about, um, in in the beginning about, with Crockpot, about detecting um, and assessing and then responding. How, how do you recommend companies proactively identify those risks for themselves? I guess we, we've sort of done that now. We've thought about, like, are there key people we need to think about and so on? Or did I miss something? Um, no, you're, no, you're right on. But I would, I would add and just say that um, it's something that should not happen in a silo or in a siloed fashion. Um, every member of the team, of the executive team especially, has different touch points with the organization and its stakeholders. And they have, they're each one of you know, your executives, for example, are going to be worried about a different high-risk scenario depending on their role, function, and expertise. So, you know, your CIO is going to be worried and constantly thinking about cybersecurity and whatever that means to your organization. Your HR, your director of HR, your head of HR is going to be looking at um, employee misconduct or, um, you know, whether it's internally or happens outside of the workplace. They're going to be looking at things like workplace violence and, and the risks of that. Your COO will look at business continuity and different things around that depending on your organization. So my whole point is that in order to really truly assess and identify your high-risk scenarios, it's not something that you can task like in the past or, you know, generically speaking, um, crisis management has been tasked to a department. And typically that department is either a few members of senior management or is like the communications or PR department. We can't do that anymore because there's so many risks that run across the board and there's so many, and crisis management is a cross-organizational um, function, needs to be, that when you're assessing and identifying these risks, you want to sit down with all of you know, your executive team, for example, and ask them questions to kind of get them talking about what keeps them up at night and what concerns them and where they see the risks and vulnerabilities for the organization. And then from there, you can make a consolidated list of, you know, most likely high impact in the scenarios. Yeah. So each individual responsible for different functions in the business are the best people to say, here's what could go wrong for us. Yeah, and here's what keeps me up at night. Yeah, and your those answers aren't going to be the same from one department to the next. Right. 
Now that makes total sense. Um, so let's talk about what kinds of things contribute to a poor response and obviously, you know, what that leads to. Poor response, um, lack of timeliness. So taking too long to respond, um, especially when it's a viral issue or a crisis, uh, rather than just issue management, but like viral issue management, um, not being transparent or seemingly not being transparent, basically not meeting stakeholder expectations and demands. That is what contributes to a poor response. Um, I, you know, business is about people. No matter what business you're in, it's about people. It's about the, you know, internally, externally, your successful business is run because of people, with people. Uh, crisis management is about people. So it's about prior to experiencing a crisis or a viral issue, you want to, one, know what you're prone to, right? Where your vulnerabilities and weaknesses lie. Uh, you want to prevent the preventable. But then in preparing for the unpreventable, you want to ad- identify, assess who your key stakeholders are. Like who are those groups of individuals? Are they from your employees to your board members, to your customers, your clients, to um, key vendors, to investors, to the, the media, the general public, lawmakers, regulators, whatever the case may be, you have a series of, or a set of um, stakeholder groups that enable your business to run. And in times of crisis, each one of those stakeholder groups are going to have different expectations in the brand. It's about understanding prior to experiencing a crisis what those expectations are and ensuring that your team is put in a position. And this is where that instinctive crisis management response that fosters trust rather than depreciates from it comes in, is understanding what is expected of the brand and how can your team be put in a position to meet those expectations in real time. And that's when um, trust and credibility doesn't get destroyed even when something negative happens. What um, must be some interesting exercises you do with your clients to help them be ready and think about what the actual client expectations would be so that when this happens, they they go, okay, we know what they're looking for. Because otherwise, I think the default would be, what do we want to give them? Yes. Yes. Well said. The default is, what do we want to give them? And not just that, but the default is also typically majority of the time that I've seen in my experience is forgetting some essential people like employees. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times HR, their main grievance is, you know, when I sit down with, um, so what I do is I conduct interviews with, depending on the organization and its size, but typically about three dozen different leaders throughout the organization. Um, And I do these round of interviews and um, biggest grievance from HR is employees are an afterthought. They're, they're, you know, they, people, management thinks about communicating with investors. They think about communicating with the board. They think about communicating with clients, but they forget about employees. And yet employees are essential for getting the message out and for ensuring message consistency and just all of these important parts of crisis management. Um, so yeah, so I just to kind of answer your question, I suppose, is to say it's about having discussions. It's There's exercises, definitely, but having discussions, putting time on people's calendars to really understand um, the different touch points, the different bottlenecks, the different resistance, um, the different, you know, different nuances and um, realities for 
each department and their relationships internally and externally with stakeholders. Yeah, you can imagine. Um, I'm sure you don't have to imagine. Other people listening can imagine that employees could be the largest source of bad information well, you know, because they all think they know, right? They all, and, and they all mean well. You know, they, exactly. their intentions are good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to take the right course of action. Um, and not just that, but you don't want to spark an internal crisis by neglecting and forgetting about your team members who now don't feel as though they're part of a team. So there's, it's really essential. And what I always find very interesting is that I have yet to come across an organization at the start of my work with an organization um, that has a consolidated list of all of their stakeholder groups. Every department knows who they own relationships with and what those relationships look like. But leadership, well, in my experience, prior to me working with the clients that I work with, they have they just don't have a consolidated list. It's just not something that they think about, and yet that consolidated list makes sure ensures everything from you know your governance, your crisis management governance. Every stakeholder group needs to have a representative at the table. Um, and often that's overlooked, and therefore, you know, HR doesn't have a seat at the table, the crisis management table, typically. Um, therefore, employees get overlooked. For example, yeah, interesting. Yeah, and obviously very important. All right, so that's the bad side or the potential of the bad side. So, what does a good outcome look like from a well prepared brand? The ultimate good outcome is so. Okay, so the definition of a crisis is a negative event or situation that threatens long-term material impact on one or all of the following five things. People, so stakeholders, the environment, the organization's operations, its reputation, and or its bottom line. So if a crisis threatens long-term negative impact on one to all of those five things, the ultimate goal in crisis management is to mitigate that long-term impact to the most extent possible, right? To de-escalate in a best scenario, you're going to de-escalate a rising crisis to issue level, and then you're going to put it to bed. And you're going to put it to bed in a way that fosters increased trust and credibility and relationships in the, with the brand. That is, that's the goal, for crisis management. And that's why being crisis ready is so essential. I said crisis readiness is not about crisis management. Crisis readiness is being able to take a potential crisis and not have to go into crisis management mode because you de-escalate it right away to issue level and then you use that as an opportunity to foster trust. All right. So an issue, of course, um, the way you're talking about it in this context is something that doesn't have a long-term impact. Yes. And... Um, so how do we, what kinds of things are we doing to de-escalate right away um, to get to that point where, all right, we've got it under control and this may be a short-term thing that we're talking about for a while, but we're confident that this is not going to have a long-term effect. Or at least we're going to mitigate because sometimes it has a long-term effect sure. whether we like it or not, right? So yeah. depending on the situation or, but at the same, but at least we're going to mitigate. It's not going to go to the to the type of effect that it could have. We're going to mitigate as much as possible that longevity and, and the impact of it. Um, so a couple things. So early detection is essential. Having a culture that 
sees an incident, negative incidences through the right lens is really essential. So how does your team view negative incidents and how are they rewarded for their response? Do they see them as opportunities to connect closer and to demonstrate, to live the organization's values? Or do they see them as annoyances and, you know, just a negative kind of uh, connotation towards, towards the word and towards the incident? Um, are they empowered to make smart decisions in the heat of the moment? What does lead? So there's so many different factors that contribute, um, but being able to detect early on, being able to assess, and then having processes in place for, you know, somebody as- detects an incident, they assess that, oops, you know, this this might be a crisis for the organization. What do they do with it? <laughs> How quickly does that get escalated to the people it needs to get escalated to? And then what do those people do with it? So. Successful crisis management requires simultaneous, effective, efficient um, action of the, the, like at the same time, both of these two things. The first is the actions that you take behind the scenes to actually right wrongs, you know, correct the incident, manage the situation, and as well as simultaneous and effective communication, both internally and externally. So, a high level, very generalized answer to that question, Chris, is how is your team in a position to effectively manage an incident and communicate throughout the management of that incident? That's what you want to look at. Right. And so let's, you've talked about a crisis and an issue and an issue is something that hopefully won't have that long-term impact. Is there a difference in how you handle them or once you, you've gotten it, you know, hopefully try to get it down to an issue, then again, it comes back to preparedness and making the right responses and communicating appropriately. So there's a difference in the two in the sense that crisis management requires crisis, like a crisis will stop business as usual to some extent. Whereas an issue is business as usual on hyperdrive. So I, I would say as a high level, that's, that's really the difference between the two in terms of how do you respond and react differently. You know, for example, um, an issue on social media will be responded to in real time, I hope, by your social media team. So that's your communications department or your marketing department or your PR department. Whereas a crisis, whether it's, you know, whether it's detected via social media or uh, via a different means will be escalated to leadership and leadership will need to assess its, its scope and impact and make decisions and then communicate directives down. So those two actions are very different. They may lead to, you know, social media team will need to respond on social, but they, they will not have the authority to do so until it's escalated. That's really the, the core difference between issue management and crisis management right from the get-go. Okay. Nice. And then, um, so I think we're at the point of now, because we've kind of gone over these steps of detect and assess and respond. Fair? Yeah. Good. I think, I mean, I could talk for, for hours, yeah. but, <laughs> but yeah. I feel like we, we covered that. So that, um, I'll pull that thing out. I'll pull this little bit out at the end, but, um, so it's all about making these right choices and obviously preparedness is, is kind of the key. It's not something we're going to look up at, look up on the day of the, 
of the crisis. So how do companies make these right choices instinctual so that um, when something happens, everybody's doing the right thing, talking to the right people, escalating as necessary? It's, it's not something that happens overnight ever. Um, becoming crisis ready, building brand invincibility, which ultimately if you're crisis ready, you ha- are building brand invincibility. That's like the key. That's the, the best outcome that you're striving to achieve that no matter what may come your way, your team is ready to take any type of negative incident and use that to foster trust and credibility in the brand, which means that your brand is invincible to anything that may come its way. Um, it doesn't happen overnight and it's cultural. So it's, I mean, I go through my book, Crisis Ready, brings you through that entire, what I call the Crisis Ready model um, that guides you through the five phases of becoming crisis ready. Um, but it's it's making the decision, it starts with making the decision that you know that your organization is vulnerable to certain things and then choosing to put the time and energy into undergoing the process of becoming crisis ready and building out your crisis ready program. Once you have your crisis ready program, um, then it's about training and, you know, building muscle memory and, um, empowering team members and making sure that they understand all of these different factors and what their roles and responsibilities are. And you test out the program and you hone skills. So there is a process to becoming crisis ready. It doesn't happen overnight. And it, because it's cultural, it's, it's continuous, right? So there's no kind of pinnacle of, oops, we've reached this point of brand invincibility and now we get to stop. No, it's really a cultural thing. And issues um, happen all the time. Issues are a constant within business. They're a reality of business. So it, you know, being crisis ready means that your, your team is ready to manage the catastrophic events, but in managing the cat or being able and equipped to manage the catastrophic events, they're also even more equipped. You know, it's they're empowered to successfully manage those day to day issues that come about. And that might have answered my next question because I was thinking, like, if you're really good at this and you don't experience a crisis very often, how do you keep people trained, right? Because they, they don't get any practice. They mean, oh yeah, we had that training three years ago, but so how do uh, it sounds like? Issues are the opportunity to practice the things because they do come up all the time. Definitely, definitely. However, training is really essential because, so I mentioned earlier, issue management is business as usual on hyperdrive, whereas crisis management stops business as usual. So that means that the people, leadership at the top, um, your C-suite, your executives, they do not do the same form of issue management um, that the frontline does on a constant. So, and so it's, it is critical. It is essential that the entire team undergo training and exercises regularly so that everybody is prepared and um, is in tuned with the, the realities of, of today. So, you know, and as those change, um, and that's done with simulations these days. Simulations, crisis simulations are these wonderful exercises that bring the entire team together, the entire crisis management team together, and they simulate 
um, you know, social media and the media and Google search and all of these different factors. You have stakeholders calling in and you really launch the team into what feels like a very real crisis in a controlled and um, safe environment where they can test out the program and hone their skills. And you as the conductor and me as the conductor, you get to play with that in a way that if they respond well, they manage the crisis. If they don't, you up the ante. So it's this it's this wonderful team building exercise um, that I highly, highly recommend for every organization. That sounds like fun, actually. It is fun. Um, <laughs> sure, a little stressful for the people who are going through it, but it just seems like a neat idea. And um, This has been really interesting and, and a fantastic conversation. Where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? So melissaagnes.com is the hub of where you can find everything. Um, I have a wealth of information there from my blog and my podcasts and videos and some free resources for your teams, um, as well as you'll find a link to my book, Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World, which um, came out in March. And I'm super, super, super psyched about just because it it really gives all of my framework and everything that I do with clients. And its its purpose is really to take any organization from wherever it currently sits on what I call the spectrum of crisis readiness and bring them right through to building brand invincibility. That's available on Amazon, but you can find links from melissaagnes.com. All right. Well, thank you very much once again for all this incredible information and a really fun conversation. Melissa Agnes, it's been great talking to you. Thanks to you, Chris. It's been a lot of fun. Great lessons there. Maybe all of that was not on your radar before, but it's worth putting some thought into. Here's another thing we're thinking about, the ACPLS annual meeting. It will be held in San Francisco on October 24th through 26th this year, and the theme is the digital future of sales and marketing. So go to acp-ls.org to learn more. That's it for this episode. Tell your friends if you like the podcast and please leave a rating and review on iTunes. Thanks very much. I will be back in two weeks.